This is Fred Ricciani of the Sports Courier Podcast. We have on the line a very special guest, a longtime friend of TSC. He is a true broadcasting legend. You may know him from his horse riding broadcasts. You may know him from Inside MMA on Access TV, his countless MMA and boxing broadcasts. He's called pretty much every freaking sport. And now he's dove headfirst into the world of podcasting. We're talking to our good friend, Kenny Rice. Kenny, how's it going? Fred, it's great to be back with you. Life is good. I have absolutely no complaints. Or as once upon a time, a college football coach told me, no need to complain because 80% of the people are glad you got a problem and the other 20 don't care. (laughs) Well said. Well said. Now, I want to get definitely into your broadcasting career. You've had a legendary career called a little bit of everything. But your primary beat for years and what you've been most synonymous with has been horse racing. And here we are in 2019. You're a guy that's got plenty of work. You, you know, a lot of guys in your career at this point would be like, you know what? Let me take it a little easy. You said, what the hell? Let me launch a podcast, which is, as you can see on the screen right there, the Kenny Rice Horse Racing Show. What made you decide to say, you know what? 2019 is the year with all the jobs I already have to launch a podcast. Well, uh, we thought about it for a while now. And uh, the good friend of mine, I'm at his studio. This is where we do the show each week, Scott Hall. Uh, we go back a long way. And uh, we had talked about a show like this. Oh, probably close to a year on and off, you know, some discussions and uh, we decided maybe this was the time to do it and uh, try to do something a little different. Kind of like Inside MMA was when it started in 07, you know, it was a different kind of show for mixed martial arts at that time. And as you know, horse racing is not the the same deal it was back in the 40s and 50s, uh, but horse racing kind of clings to that era, uh, or at least the, to the 70s. So what we're trying to do is just open it up again, have a little fun with it, uh, a lot like we did on the Inside MMA show, to be honest, and have some different guests that are not necessarily horse racing type guests that you would think, but uh, just kind of mix it up and enjoy it. And, uh, you know, I sit here once a week and just talk, so that's rather easy for me to do. So that's how we decided maybe this would be the time, and we're five episodes in, and uh, thank you for the plug, and we'll see how far it goes. I hope I have the success you've had with yours, really. I mean, I hope I'm still going a year from now. Thank, at least. Hey, thank, listen, man, hey, you're, 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 you're a true legend in the business. I think you'll do just fine. So far, I checked out a few episodes, and as you know, I'm not a, a huge horse racing guy, but I keep, I keep uh, you know, tabs on everything you do, and I uh, really love it so far, and I, I like the formatting. You don't present it as too inside either. What I liked about Inside MMA is while it was called Inside MMA, you made it so that casual fans can understand the sport. And actually, I'll give you credit for that. We're jumping around a bit, but I'll give you credit for Really helping me understand the sport because back when I first started covering MMA, I didn't know that I was going to be working in combat sports or going to UFCs or anything like that. And Inside MMA was the go-to program I had if I wanted to learn about any regional MMA, all the ongoings of UFC, the scandals, uh, just personality profiles in, in general. So I feel like the Kenny Rice Horse Racing Show definitely has the potential to be that. Well, I take that as a great compliment, Fred. Thank you. And, yeah, that's what we try to do with Inside MMA. Uh, obviously, Boss Rutten, uh, there's no better expert in the sport than Boss Rutten. And uh, we'd both talked about it and we didn't want to get too inside because you want to make it entertaining and you want to make it where that people like to learn about the personalities. And that was the thing I enjoyed most when we first started the show was I was surprised at the depth of some of the fighters, to be quite honest, in their backgrounds and their education. And they had a variety of things that they could talk about in addition to their fights. And that's what we're trying to bring over here, because what got me into horse racing, I grew up in Kentucky, but I didn't grow up in this world of horse racing. Uh, that started when I came to local TV back in the eighties. But what I liked about the sport was the many layers to every horse. 
You know, you got the owners, the trainers, the breeders, uh, the jockeys, and uh, many of them have an interesting story. So that's what we're trying to do here, much like we tried to let the fans know a little more about their fighter other than here's their one loss record and they won this many by submissions and this many by knockouts. I don't know if you know this, but I actually grew up walking distance from the famous Freehold Raceway in Freehold, New Jersey. And I don't I knew that. I, yeah, and I and I, I didn't go to a lot of races, but I would every now and then. And it's just it's a really fun spectator sport, even if you're not a fan of it or something that doesn't necessarily follow it very closely outside of the, the, the big three. It's cool to to go there and have like that live experience. As somebody that is a, a horse racing expert and the host of the horse racing show, are there any pro tips you could give any casual fans, anything that should be on the on the lookout for or, or something they should maybe understand that would maybe help enhance their enjoyment of horse racing? Oh, great question. I think that the best thing is if you've been out there maybe one time before or two times before, don't get so caught up in the betting part of it. Now, I realize that all the racetracks watching this, all the racetrack executives just shivered when I said that because they're like casinos. That's how they make their money, that you've got to come out and bet. That's what they want. And I think in time, that's fine. If you learn to read the racing form and you can look back at past performances and kind of gauge uh, you know, like a batting average in baseball, who hits well against this pitcher, et cetera. Uh, you could do that with horse racing, but don't dive in so much right off. I think just kind of go out, walk around, people watch a little bit. If you want to bet the the color of uh, the silks of the horse, or you want to bet, uh, you know, that the jockey's going to wear, or the driver if you're at a harness race, or you want to pick out a name, have some fun the first two or three times. Make it a fun time. Don't go out there and lose a lot of money. Because I've had friends that go to the track, and, and they, they've studied just enough to be dangerous. You, you know the type. You know, I've read just enough statistics that I think I know it. And, you know, they lose like two or 300 bucks, and they go, I hate it. I'm never going back. And I said, don't, don't, don't get carried away at first. So that would be my first tip is try to go and just enjoy it. And, honestly, you can observe a lot and learn a lot just by kicking back, uh, paying attention to the horses when they're in the paddock area, going out to the track, kind of get a feel for everything. And then if you enjoy that part of it, then you, there's some books out there that you can read or you can tune into the horse racing show and, uh, you know, learn a little bit more about the sport and then, then go out there and risk losing, uh, you know, 10 or 15 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever you want to risk. Yeah. Don't go all in right away. Don't go in all right away. And, you know, I remember the first time I was at freehold, I went out to the Jersey freeze. I think it's still there. You know, yep, the little like custard hot dog stand because I read where Springsteen used to go there. I thought that was the coolest thing. I went there and had a had a custard, I believe, at the Jersey Freeze when I was at Freehold. Yeah, good good time. Still around, and I think they're actually opening their second second or third location. So yeah, they were they were fun fact they were supposed to go out of business, and then there was a rally cry, and now they're still around, just like the raceway. See, people like me read about Springsteen going there, and we all started showing up. That's what happened. All of us tourists. <laughs> That's for sure. Now, you mentioned that you didn't get into horse racing really as far as coverage goes until like the 80s, but you've been doing this broadcasting thing for quite a long time. What led you to decide when you were a young Kenneth Rice, hey, you know what? I I think this is the career for me. (laughs) Because I was a decent enough athlete to know and smart enough, smart enough in that regard at least, to know that I wasn't going to make a collegiate, much less a professional career out of sports, personally. But I enjoyed it. Uh, my father was a real good athlete. We watched sports together. And I grew up with football, baseball, basketball, boxing. You know, those are the sports I grew up watching. And uh, so it was, it was something for me to watch Jim McKay do wide world of sports and, and other announcers as well. But they were always on different, you know, in different locations. 
and covering different kind of sports. And I thought, you know, that would be a great way. If I'm fortunate enough to make a living doing this, that would be like the best thing to do. I could get to travel, go to places I normally would never go, meet people I would normally never get to meet, and uh, cover sports. I thought that'd be a fun thing to do. And you know, thank God, uh, a few decades later, I'm I'm still I'm still employed by a few people, so that's nice. And I've covered sports that I never thought I'd cover. MMA would definitely be one of those. I thought I'd mostly be doing football, basketball, boxing. That's really what I thought I'd wind up doing. And I came to Lexington, Kentucky, for my first job on TV at a commercial TV station. And there's a lot in Lexington. For those that have ever been here, the horse racing business is very big in Kentucky. Uh, There's so many people that are employed uh, from uh, blacksmiths to landscapers, uh, veterinarians that are outside of the the actual racing world, but very much a part of it, uh, that I started covering it on a regular basis. Then I started doing uh, freelance work with ESPN on a show they had called Down the Stretch, And that kind of opened a lot of national doors for me. And uh, the more I learned about horse racing and the people, uh, I enjoyed the sport. I enjoyed the way that you get a horse to the racetrack and how you get a horse to the sales ring. And uh, those stories still interest me uh, as much as actually who wins or loses the race. What would you say is the most challenging sport to call? Like, is there one where maybe you feel like you got to do a little more research, a little more uh, preparation for, or do do they all present their unique challenges? Well, I think they're all a little unique, and you know that from the, the sports that you've covered out there. Um, I've not called many. I don't actually call the races. You know, I do, I'm do. i a reporter, and I tell the stories. I do the interviews. But I have called some races, uh, just some things that I would do on tape and play back on local TV. I've never called it a major track or anything. But calling a horse race is a tough thing. The toughest thing is not – and this is talking to Tom Durkin and Larry Colmas, who I think are as good as it gets, and I've had the pleasure of – having not only a friendship, but a professional relationship with these guys. Um, Cause you got to forget the horse that just ran in the race before. And uh, as race fans will know, and I think maybe even casual sports fans will know like a horse. If Fred, if you and I had a horse, we decide here's the color it's going to be, you know, it might be the color of your school or whatever. We pick out, we can pick out our own color of silks. They call it that the jockey's going to wear. Well, if we have a horse in the first race and a horse in the third race, they're going to be wearing the same silk. So if you're calling races all day long, you know, if you're sitting all day long at Aqueduct calling the races, you got to forget, you got to, you know, focus on that uh, horse's name. You can't remember the color from the first race to the third race. You know, the color's going to be there. The name's going to be different. So I think that's what's uh, intriguing about horse racing calling. That's why there's very few guys that do it well. But uh, my favorite sport to call is basketball. I, I still do some uh, Atlantic 10 games with NBC Sports Network. I was at the uh, UMass VCU game a couple of weeks ago. And I love the pace of basketball. I love how that basketball can turn around on a dime. You can see teams go on 14-0 runs, you know, 18-2 runs, those kind of things. And uh, I, I love how the momentum can swing in such a short period of time with basketball. That's that's always been my favorite sport, actually, to cover. Uh, I don't cover as much as I'd like to, but that's still the one that I probably watch the most as well as watch basketball, especially college ball. I feel like basketball has always kind of been a global game, but now more than ever, I feel like it truly is. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but I feel like there's a lot of NBA-level players or former NBA players that are seeking out other options, which is amazing. Like you see you know, Amari Stoudemire and some other guys going to like the Israeli League, the big three that Ice Cube is behind, and Amy Trask has been very well, and it's going into its third season now. You know, FIBA obviously has their own, you know, three-on-three leagues and different leagues all around the world. And, of course, the NBA here in North America is is thriving. What are your thoughts on 
the growth of basketball and the growth of options for different players? Well, I think the options, like you say, uh, everybody, you know, the, these, these guys that uh, may be on the just a little past their prime or as we've seen with a few that are, you know, maybe not wanting to go to college and go to, go to Europe and play, uh, that option's there that wasn't there. Uh, several years ago, and even some of the older players coming in now, they wouldn't have been, let's say it wouldn't have been as easy for them as it is now, because like you said, the growth, there's more professional teams out there and they're all over the globe. And I think one of the things about basketball, it's as easy a game to explain to someone. You could sit down and watch 10 minutes of a basketball game with someone that's never seen the sport. And after the end of those 10 minutes, they're going to have a, a rough idea, at least to how the games play. They're going to understand certain things. The block charge, they'll probably never understand because I've watched it for 40 years and I don't understand the block charge call sometimes. I know the little the semicircle that they have now and all, but it's still a screwy call, I think. Uh, but no, you can explain basketball pretty easy. And basketball is easy to play. It's, it's certainly not a rich game. It's, you know, it's not like playing golf or tennis. You can get a basketball and, and uh, put a rim up of some kind and go out in your backyard and shoot. If you're growing up in a rural area in Kentucky, if you're growing up in an inner city, if you're growing up somewhere in Europe or in uh, Southeast Asia, it's not hard to find at least something that will, will resemble a basketball and something that will resemble a hoop. You know, I had a backyard and had a dirt coal in my backyard, had a dirt uh, uh, court, and uh, my dad put up a goal for me, you know, just pretty basic. And I'd go out there and I'd shoot, uh, you know, four or five hours in the evening because I enjoyed it. And I can still shoot. I can't do anything else. I can always shoot a basketball. It was that quickness and getting the shot off of somebody in my face. It was my problem. But I have a great appreciation for it. And I think it's because it is a little it like I like soccer. It's not hard to be able to put a basketball court of some kind together and get to practice on it. And I think that appeals to kids no matter what part of the country, what part of the world you grew up. It's not limited to socioeconomic status. And I think that's the appeal that uh, – basketball is showing to the rest of the world right now well said and i actually think too i forgot to mention that the g league you know the nba's developmental league is also yep. doing very well and they're starting to give you know reasonable salaries for people that maybe want to avoid college or come out of college early and then you also have tbt the basketball tournament i don't know if you've seen any of it on espn which is like a million dollar two million dollar tournament that features <laughs> pros from all, all over the world so I mean, there are plenty of options if you want to make at least some type of living in basketball yeah and the nba's done a great job uh, you know, for, for a lot of the things with the NBA, I mean, I, I don't like the NBA as much as I used to, but uh, they've done incredible job marketing and NBA TV, uh, especially. When did you ever think you'd get that people would want to watch a summer league in Vegas? <laughs> I was out there a couple of years ago and, you know, people are going out to the games and you never thought this was going to happen. I mean, they've had summer leagues for years, but when they started marketing it better, putting it on TV, it became something to go see or want to see or watch on TV. So I think that that's helped as well, uh, that they've made it pretty much a 12-month 12, a 12 uh, game now. Uh, there's basketball. You can watch a basketball game, uh, I guess, every month out of the year now, especially with that summer league and with the European leagues. And when it comes to the best of the best, when it comes to MMA coverage, some would say that Inside MMA, when it comes to being a great news magazine show, was the best of the best. Now, for those that don't know, you hosted Inside MMA for – about a decade or so, it was a show. It was a news magazine show covering mixed martial arts on HGNet, which is now known as Access TV. Uh, ended a, a couple years back, and looking back, I'd say it was kind of revolutionary for its time. Some people may say, "Oh, it's a what is it? It's a new MMA news show. What's the, what's the big deal?" Well, back then, 
There weren't any MMA news shows. We didn't have any networks that were really doing any personality profiles outside of the Ultimate Fighter and the occasional countdown special on, on Spike TV. You really didn't have much. Whereas, you know, Sports Center and, you know, the NBA, NFL, they, they all have their own shows. MMA didn't. How did you get linked up in the world of combat sports and inside MMA? Thank you, by the way, for the memory lane trip, because that, that's something I'm very proud of was inside MMA and, and still am. And it's nice when people still bring it up. Uh, cut to the chase right quick. I started working for HDNet in 2003. I was calling college basketball for them and some boxing and uh, a few football games. Uh, and then the other sports that I, wa- I, wa- I didn't call for them was uh, they did some NHL games and uh, they did Major League Soccer. Their schedule then was much like NBC Sports Network is scheduled now. You know, some college basketball games, Major League Soccer or, you know, Premier League Soccer now and NHL. Uh, so I was doing that and uh, I got a call and uh, the guy that uh, had hired me, Daryl Ewalt, uh, the late Daryl Ewalt, a good friend of mine. Uh, Mark Cuban talked to us, and, of course, Mark owned and still does HDNet, now Access TV. And, you know, Mark was always kind of on the forefront of a lot of things. And he said that, uh, you know, he'd done the research, and college basketball, we were sending out these, uh, as as we do from time to time, these uh, research calls or sending out, uh, uh, you know, mailings to people and say, gee, Fred, did you watch uh, – UCLA and USC. We were doing a lot of Pac-10 games. Yes, uh, we were also doing Missouri Valley. Did you watch uh, uh, Bradley when they when they played at Northern Iowa? Yes, I watched that. Did you watch Gonzaga and Pepperdine? Yes, I watched that. And then they'd have not multiple choice, but who who did you you know what network did you watch it on? And eighty like percent of the people put ESPN, even though it was HD Net and we had the little logo up in the corner HD Net. Uh, they thought they were watching ESPN because they associated anything with the ball involved in it, was on only on ESPN. So Mark decided he'd put up a lot of money for all these college basketball and some college football games that we did for about a four-and-a-half, five-year period. Uh, and then he decided that mixed martial arts was a rising sport. It had a young audience. High-definition television sets were much more affordable in 06 and 07 than they were when they first came out. So people just out of college or still in college could buy a high-definition set. And at that time, HDNet was what it meant. It was totally high definition. It, uh, if you didn't have a high definition set, you couldn't see us. We were scrambled. You could just hear us. You know, I had friends that tried to watch. The guy didn't hear you. I heard you, but I didn't see you. And uh, so Mark decided, let's take a shot on MMA. Obvious choice was Boss Rutan. To get the best out there to be an analyst, they got Boss. Boss and I had known each other from the International Fight League that I'd done about a year before in a freelance gig that I had with Fox. And so uh, Mark wanted me to come in because he wanted a sportscaster in there and basically a traffic cop and somebody that'd be a foil for Boss. And Boss and I were, I remained like family. Boss is that close to me. And so they didn't want a, a, a show where we'd just be screaming and shouting and everybody be, you know, calling each other out. They wanted actual interviews, conversations. And uh, it intrigued me that they wanted me. They thought I could host that position. And two, you know, Mark Cuban's involved. This guy doesn't make many mistakes. So I've always enjoyed, I enjoyed working with him. And I thought, let's give it a try. And what's the worst scenario? It doesn't work out. I mean, I've lost jobs before. So I'll see how far I can do this inside MMA. And it's turned out I had about nine and a half year run, 450 plus shows. And it was, uh, it was just tremendous. And working with uh, 
boss and Ron Cruck and uh, all the people involved. It was, a, it was a great experience. And the toughest thing we had right off was even the people in the, in the sport didn't know exactly what we were because that sport was mostly, like you point out, Fred, it was mostly podcasts back then or you know something similar to podcasts. They didn't actually have to. I remember people would write in and say, you're cutting them off too soon. Let them talk. But we had a format. You know, We had to sell some commercials in there. So we were doing about a 45, 48-minute show. So you had to kind of keep the pace going. And the uh, thing I'll never forget is, is a couple of the guys asked me, said, can we curse on the show? I said, well, you can, but it's like this. Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, do you hear those guys cursing on TV interviews? No. I don't know what they do away from the camera. But if you're trying to sell your image and you're trying to appeal to a broader audience than this, the guy that, uh, you know, can tell you every stat from every MMA fight since the 90s. Uh, if you want a broader audience than that, you know, maybe you just control your language a little bit if you want to. And everybody did. I mean, for the most part, it wasn't mandated. But, uh, you know, they were kind of getting used now and they answered quickly and, uh, you know, got to the point and it was, it was fun. So yeah, I think that we did, we were revolutionary. Nobody else was doing the show like we were, except for the couple of the UFC shows you mentioned. And then a few more people tried to copy it and they didn't stay around. And the only thing that's even there than uh, when I was wrapping it up, uh, the last few years with bosses, I believe the only thing that's still around obviously is like the UFC tonight show that that's it. Uh, everything else, you know, kind of came and went. Right. And Looking back with, with MMA and when I got involved, and I'm sure when you got involved, you, you noticed this too. It's unlike any sport out there. You know, outside of maybe like for me, like the professional wrestling business, I've never been a part of a sport like in the media side of things that's so wacky. There's always weird <laughs> things happening, whether it's, you know, the John Jones stuff like, hey, let's move an event six days before the fight because he failed a drug test, but he didn't really fail a drug test. Or, hey, let's cancel a UFC because. You know, Dan Henderson gets hurt and John Jones doesn't want to fight Chelsea Sonnen off his couch or the TRT saga or, you know, all the stuff that random stuff having a Bellator, Kimbo Slice and Dada 5000. Uh, of all the moments you had to cover in MMA and still to this day, is, is there one wacky moment that stands out that you were that you were a part of or had a front row seat to? I, I tell you, the whole situation, the ups and downs, ebb and flow of John Jones career might have been the most intriguing uh, and, and not the most fun to cover because, you know, I, I don't like it when somebody's not having if they get beat, that's fine. But, you know, all the controversy around them and the problems going on because we had John on when he was first starting, uh, maybe two or three pro fights into it, just like we had Ronda Rousey on. I don't know if she had a pro fight. Maybe she had one or two pro fights. We just had her on because she was a bronze medalist in judo from the Olympics. And we were curious why she wanted to go into MMA. You know, so we had people like that on uh, very early in their careers. But everything you probably said was was about right. I mean, that, that was everything you just mentioned was would I would equate it uh, as the most as some of the craziest stuff. And, you know, some of the regional things like a double knockout at uh, this saloon in Indianapolis. You know, you had a few things like that. Shoney Carter was the referee. I think a few people still remember Shoney out oh, there. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. You remember that double knockout? We played that a lot. We played that clip on Inside MMA. It seemed like we play it four or five times a year because people enjoyed it. You know, they hadn't seen anything like that. But, yeah, just I remember the first time that the UFC was canceled. Uh, and it was because, yeah, I, I just don't want to have that. I don't want that fight. And I thought, this is this is crazy. I mean, imagine like your star quarterback goes out and, and you're not going to have a playoff game now because the backup guy doesn't know if he's ready to fight or ready to play. I, I thought that was strange. 
But so many things had happened. And the control that the UFC had, which is really not unlike the control the NFL has. I, I was amazed at how much control the, the UFC had on the fighters. And many of them wouldn't come on when we first started Inside MMA, by the way. We had Chuck Liddell on the first show. But Chuck and Randy Couture, they were so established in their careers that they came on the show very early. They were kind of like the pioneers for us that kind of opened it up to get, you know, George St. Pierre and, and uh, Matt Hughes was another guy that came on early because, again, he was at that stage in his career. He wasn't worried about it. But, uh, yeah, I, I just found that kind of interesting that because uh, I thought everybody would be happy that there was a show out there that would help not only promote the sport, educate people about the sport, but what most of the people, what most of those in control of the sport did not want was genuine reporting when there would be something bizarre like uh, a drug test problem or moving a fight or a fight being canceled. They didn't want to talk about that. But I look at it this way. If it's a strong enough sport, one, it's going to be easy to understand. And two, if there are controversies or problems within, uh, if they're treated fairly and honestly, the sport is not going to be hurt. Yeah, and honestly, I feel like that's the most interesting thing about the new ESPN and UFC relationship going into 2019 and beyond. I mean, so far it's been pretty good as far as I think broadcast and i think they've done a, a much better job in presentation as far as making the fight shorter so it's not a, a chore to watch and everything but at the same time when we, we talked about john jones you know there, there's bound to be some controversy going on with john jones but with somebody with usada with the drug test failure with the a fight and everything else and, and i'm curious to see going forward how it's going to work with espn and uc because at the end of the day you know they are media partners now and espn is a very respectable media outlet but you know, there's always going to be that thing with money involved, and you know how how much how deep do you really want to go? Kind of similar to the NFL with it, with it, with its partners. You know, how much can you really dig before you jeopardize that relationship? That's a great question, and and it'll be interesting to see that because as we know, no matter how big they get, uh, once you get in bed with each other like that, and you really have to, well, you, you really have to be a partner, you know, because you're paying this money. And the people that are taking the money, the organizations, being the NFL or the UFC or whatever the sport, getting it from the networks, in a, in the tail wags the dog scenario, they dictate to the networks, as you know. I mean, in college basketball, when they get into the Final Four, when they're getting building to the Final Four in March Madness, you know, they'll dictate. The NCAA, will, you know, the nationally CBS will want to get games at a certain time. They'll want to get prime teams in prime time, like a Duke. Uh, but that that's really. Uh, I'm going to pay you a lot of money, but then I'm also, uh, I'm going to take your money, but then I'll tell you what to do. You know, I'm giving you the money, but I don't have a whole lot of say. So I'll be curious how ESPN carry, uh, covers that, and there will be controversies. And you know what I, you know what you mentioned a minute ago? I'll throw in another one as far as craziest, wackiest things was that whole Kimbo slice on CBS. Oh, God, remember I remember he got that, knocked yeah. Out, uh, because when he got knocked out, there were people who had just followed the sport enough that had sent letters to us, and I did a few call-in shows. They thought Kimbo Slice was the greatest fighter ever because that's the way he'd been positioned. And, you know, credit to Kimbo taking the money. I don't blame him. Uh, but a lot of people thought he was the greatest fighter ever, and how in the world could he have lost to a guy that just stepped into the ring, Petrozelli, right? Seth Petrozelli? Seth Petrozelli, yep, that was him. Yeah, and who took a fight, right? He's like working down the street. And literally walks in and they took, takes the fight and goes in and knocks him out, who supposedly the way that he had been built up uh, by the organization and by, uh, you know, by CBS, he was unstoppable. And, uh, you know, I, that was bizarre. That might have been one of the most bizarre things. It was hard to explain that Kimbo was, uh, was a good fighter, good street fighter, but was not a technical fighter and not really an MMA 
champion caliber fighter. It was hard to explain that. I did a commentary on it that I didn't blame Kimbo, uh, that CBS probably could have researched it a little better. Uh, Elite XC, Elite XC, right? Yeah, it was, it was Elite XC, yep. Yeah, you know, they, they had marketed this guy, and I think they had sold everybody, the network on him, they would sold everybody. And, uh, yeah, that, that was absolutely bizarre. I, I'll add that. I think that might have been that whole whole time of Kimbo and that rise and then that quick fall, that was probably the strangest thing out there. I didn't mean to get off track, but see, you you got me thinking about all these MMA days now. So I mean, they're all they're flooding back to me, Fred. Hey, hey, all good. And I'm actually thinking of you know now thinking about it, right? Where you mentioned CBS. Remember that controversy with Strikeforce, where Strikeforce had that historic CBS yeah. deal, and then yeah. Nick Diaz and Jason Mayhem Miller, you know, that's a name from the yeah. past, got into like that oh. pull apart brawl, and CBS was so pissed off they. They took Strikeforce off the air when Strikeforce yeah. maybe maybe could have competed with the UFC to some extent at that time. And now here yeah. we are, right, almost a decade removed from that. And Conor McGregor, Habib Magomedov, had a similar deal, albeit on a pay-per-view, not on network TV. And that's that's actually being used in their favor because that's gonna that, that means a, a big rematch down the road. They're gonna replay that footage a hundred times, and both guys yeah. are gonna do very well. And it and I, I can just imagine even if that took place like five six years ago. People would be looking at it a lot differently, kind of similar to the Mayhem Miller and Diaz situation. Yeah, that's a great point. And you know, I want to point out, and I, and I don't say this because I'm doing your show, but the respect I've always had for you, the way you covered MMA, because as we know, you're not the only one out there, but I still think you're in the minority that's willing to cover it. Uh, you know, because so many people are always afraid if I offend someone, they won't let me come to any more of the fights. And they do have that power. You know, the UFC does have that power. You know, they jerk credentials and nobody stands up for each other. I mean, if you take a credential away from a legitimate reporter covering football or basketball games, you know, the, the rest of them would rally around the rest of the media, but not, not so as you know, in MMA. And, uh, I bring that up because I, when I saw what happened at the end of that McGregor fight, and I appreciate Conor McGregor for being the showman that he is and, uh, being the entertainer that he is and being the fighter that he is. Uh, but you know, I think it's just like the whole bus incident where he's, you know, he's throwing, uh, when he throw like a hat stand or something through the window of a bus, I, I think it's now to the point of absurdity and I don't think it helps the sport. I, I think there's a lot of people out there that question was MMA real and we know it is, but they've questioned it for years. Well, I think it's a setup or, or kind of like in boxing, you know, where they'll say, well, okay, this is their second fight. This guy's going to win this fight. So that'll set up the third fight. And, and some of that cynicism, I can understand, uh, you know, it, it just seems so, it, it just seems so predictable. How, how's that for the word predictable at the end of the, that whole fight with that last McGregor fight that you just felt something, maybe not to the extent, but something had to give, uh, just to add to the drama and it'll be played up and very few people will question yeah, you know, at what point is this becoming? And I know you cover the sport, but let's face it, pro wrestling at least lets you know it's entertaining and it's staged, but these guys are incredible athletes and they're incredibly entertaining. Uh, but MMA, I always thought, need to distance itself a little more. And now it's gotten more, I think, into that world uh, of trying to be, of, of forcing entertainment. And, and I think some of the McGregor Act seems to me a little forced these days where I felt it was very natural when he came up, you know, he was boisterous and cocky and all the things that you like in a fighter, especially to root for or against, but now it's like, okay, what's next? You know, what's the next stunt? 
And what's the next stunt that the UFC is going to allow? And okay, we'll be suspended for so many months, but you know he's going to be back, and we're going to have a rematch. And uh, I, I'm just not sure. But why do I know? Heck, they got a good deal with the ESPN. You know, they don't have to worry. And Dana White is a master at promotion. And if it weren't for him, uh, and I think the Fertitas would agree, the UFC would have never been what it became. And so they know what they're doing. It's just, I don't know, some of us sports fans out here wish they'd tone it down a little bit and get back to the actual fights and maybe try to promote some of these up-and-coming fighters instead of having to go back and make it almost like the Masters Tour now of, of MMA. You know, you're bringing guys back that you hope still have a few fights left in them. Sadly, Cain Velasquez didn't. I like Cain. But, you know, two weeks, two layoff two years and fight the caliber of guy he's fighting. That was a tough fight for him. It ended quick. You know, you don't know what Anderson Silva still has left in him. And, you know, that's the way it's become now. It's some of the big names in MMA are the old names because we don't know who the new up-and-comers are that much. What are your thoughts on, on the overall rebirth of boxing as far as it being a mainstream sport? Well, I think that people are getting to know the personalities again. That was the biggest thing. And let's face it, we're, we're provincial in the U.S. You know, we like to have heavyweight champs. Most of us grew up with some American heavyweight champ or American heavyweight contender. It's the way it is. And Deontay Wilder has provided that in the heavyweight ranks. And then, you know, you know Keith Thurman, Earl Spence, I'm going to miss a name or two. I'll start naming everybody out there. But, uh, you know, guys like that are very marketable. They're personal. They're good fighters. And I think that's helped a lot. Uh, the PBC, you know, was on NBC in 15 and 16. And I enjoyed being a part of those telecasts. Uh, now they've gone to Fox. But I think the, the intent of what the PBC is trying to do is a lot like what the UFC has done. And that is bring it all under one umbrella. So you don't have those alphabets out there, you know, like we know the UFC champions, you know, them in the weight division. Now there's other champs, uh, you know, legacy and all this, and, but they're the minor leagues building up to the UFC, uh, in boxing, probably still a little too many championship fights out there. You get confused. Even if you follow the sport fairly regularly, you got to really be a devotee to keep up with exactly who's fighting who and in what category and then, uh, you know, what league, but, uh, I do think that it, it's coming back. I think they've got a lot of uh, the U.S. Olympic team had it, its best year in, in decades. I, B.J. Flores and I called those fights at the Olympics in 16. And, uh, you know, the Americans were making a case for themselves. And I think that'll help tremendously. And like you mentioned, uh, Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder, they just know how to handle themselves, not just in the ring, but they have the personalities and it's genuine. I think they're both genuine. Uh, I've interviewed both of them. And as you know, Fred, it, it, you can only be phony so long. And, and they're not. You know, what they say, and, and they'll, they'll hype it enough. You know, Fury especially. But uh, I think they genuinely have respect for the game and respect for the opponent. And I think a lot of that's missing in all sports. You know, when I don't want to just get into combat sports is, uh, you know, in baseball nowadays. You know, you see guys pound their chest when they hit a double, you know, back in the old days, you're getting bean the next time you're up there. So, I mean, it, it crosses over in all sports. It's a lot of self entitlement and it's good to see that boxing's kind of gotten getting, getting guys in there that, uh, you know, I think are bringing a little different, uh, spin to it. Now it's about the fight itself. It's about them. You know, you got a few guys, Adrian Broner, you know, he's out there, but, uh, but there's going to be guys that are genuinely interested in the fight and they want to promote the fight because they realize that if, if I'm not honest about it and I'll have some fun, like you said, the wink and nod, but, uh, eventually I got to get people to watch this fight. If they don't watch it, then boxing is going to take a big step back. And so far that hasn't been the case in the last couple of years. Oh yeah. And, uh, and I'm happy for the fans because you know, now yeah. instead of paying 60 bucks, you could watch a, you know, a fight on the zone for like 10 bucks a month or you could watch it for free on Fox yeah. or it's part of your subscription on 
FS1 or ESPN or wherever, which is which is pretty cool. I think my only concern, and I'm super happy for the fighters making that money, is you know, are we going to get some of these super fights, or is it going to take a long time, kind of like it did with Pacquiao and Mayweather? I mean, we've been pretty—I don't want to say spoiled, but pretty lucky the last few years. I mean, yeah. we had Mayweather-Pacquiao, albeit you know past their primes, but still, we got that fight. We had the freak show yeah. with Mayweather-McGregor. We had uh, the two fantastic Canelo and Triple G fights and, and everything. And then, of course, Wilder and Fury was, was, an, was an excellent fight. So uh, I'm a little worried now that maybe with all these entities you know, paying these fighters, while it's great for them and while it's great for fans to get to see more fights more often, you know, are we eventually going to get Joshua and Wilder at a reasonable time? You know, are we going to get Joshua versus Fury? Is Canelo you know, eventually going to fight Triple G again or something going to happen there? So... That, that's my only concern, but I think overall boxing is, is thriving. Yeah, I think it's the best it's been in a long time, that's for sure. I don't think we're going to have the super fights like we used to, and, and that's the reason. Now it's, uh, you know, it's kind of like record labels. Or can, can we have permission to have your artist come and sing on this song with us? Uh, I think that's going to be a very tough thing to do. You know, We're going to see, as, as we've seen, uh, where you got two ring announcers in there. you got Buffer and Lennon in there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we're alternating ring announcers. Everybody's going to have to make concessions. Uh, I don't know how many times that's going to happen. And honestly, I don't know how many guys carry that kind of weight uh, where they can bring the audience, where you know, hey, I got to do something. Like with Mayweather, you always had to kind of defer because you knew people liked him enough and didn't like him enough that they're going to tune in to see if he either won or got beat finally. And I I think that that's probably going to be tough to find those kind of guys. I'm not sure that Fury and Wilder, uh, Canelo, uh, I'm not sure that those guys – will be able to, to be that guy that brings so much clout to it that somebody's going to have to cave in, some organization say, okay, we're going to work together. Our guy's going to come over and fight your guy. I, I, don't, I don't know if we're going to see as many of those in the next few years because uh, people got money to spend, and you know, I don't blame them. If you have a fighter in your league, I got a fighter in my league, I, I don't know. I don't know if I want him to get hurt necessarily. You don't want your guy to get hurt necessarily. So maybe we'll just keep paying him a lot of money, and we've got our network TV deals or – cable deals and we're okay yeah and you know now thinking about it for a guy like anthony joshua who really isn't that big of a star in the u.s if you really think about it like he's selling out stadiums in the uk so as long as he's selling out stadiums in the uk no matter who he's fighting i mean do you really need to change anything no i don't think he does and, and that's going to be it and, and you know once as we know once that money's out there and you're making a lot of money and you got to be loyal to the people paying you uh there might not be that interest and, and even fans that Say, well, I, I want to see this fight. Well, okay, he's going to have this fight instead. Okay, I'll still watch. And, and that's going to be the bottom line. Right. Well, Kenny, I really do appreciate the time, man. Tremendous insight, as always. Before we let you go, what's one piece of advice you give prospective broadcasters who hope to have similar success to you in the future? Uh, study a lot and uh, be willing to keep your mind open that there might be some other sports out there that you don't intend on covering uh, that you might have to cover. And... Uh, Try to learn and uh, listen to the expert analysts that they'll pair you with. And, and that's what I've tried to do throughout. And that's why I've called a lot of sports. And that's why I'm getting, uh, you know, this year will be a basketball, U.S. Open Polo Championship and Triple Crown, Kentucky Derby and Triple Crown, and the horse racing show. And, uh, you know, maybe some football in the fall. So uh, I, I like that. I like variety. And I think if you like variety and you're curious, that's the key, as you know, Fred, because you cover other sports too. You like if you you enjoy finding out about people and about other sports, then that's a, a very positive way to go in to try to make a career out of this. 
Well said, and you can follow Kenny Rice on Twitter at Kenny Rice Sports to get you out the Kenny Rice Horse Racing Show on YouTube and other podcast platforms. Anywhere else we can find you online, Kenny? Uh, let's see. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play, and you can go to Facebook at the Horse Racing Show or go to thehorseracingshow.com. I think I've covered it all, Fred. Hey, easy enough. The Horse Racing Show, the Kenny Rice Horse Racing Show. Check it out. Kenny, thanks so much, man. Hey, my friend, thank you so much, Fred. I appreciate your time. It's always a pleasure. Great to catch up.